He always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Lounge. I'm Anthony Irwin, today joined by somebody whose coverage of not just the Lakers, but the sport in general is, I would go so far as to say, pretty groundbreaking in terms of uh, what he has done to educate fans on the X's and O's of the sport. Um, You know him as Tim, uh, also known as Cranjus McBasketball. He comes here from the Lakers Exceptionalism pod. Um, one of the better names out there for a podcast. Tim, thanks very much for hopping on, bud. How you doing? Hey, Anthony, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Uh, doing, doing what I can when it comes to the whole sport, but definitely deep dive in the Lakers. I don't know. I don't know if I have the whole, I have enough time to cover quite everybody, but, uh, you know, changing the world one X and one O at a time, I guess. <laughs> is that, that that's got to be the tagline from here on out right changing the world one yep. x one o at a time uh, we'll, we'll workshop it a little bit but uh i think it's a, you know <laughs> there might be something there yeah one x at a time can be kind of problematic right like <laughs> people might take that the wrong way um so uh, today on the show, uh, we've already seen one game here of Lakers Warriors. We are one series into Darvin Ham's uh, rookie voyage or maiden voyage into the playoffs. Um, there are some things I think he does really well. There are some things that um, I still have some thoughts about. Generally speaking, though, I'm I'm talking about it from a you know fairly fairly educated, casual perspective when it comes to coaching. Um, and I'm curious if some of my thoughts kind of back up some of what you've seen here, Tim. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the series in general and some adjustments that we might see in the counters to those adjustments, all of that good stuff here um, as we get ready for, by the time you guys are listening to this, game two, which will be taking place tonight. So uh, yeah, Tim, I just want to talk like kind of in general terms, the job that you've seen Darvin Ham do this season, um, I think it's borderline miraculous that he maintained buy-in given everything that he had to deal with over the course of the season. But, you know, X's and O's and rotations and all of that, from where you're standing, what kind of job would you say Darwin has done uh, this season? I would say all things considered, he's, he's done fairly well. It didn't quite start this way. And there have been elements of he and the staff's decision-making that I haven't I still don't love to this day, but I guess I, what I have seen is growth over time. And that's been encouraging the X's and O's side of things offensively started out, you know, they had some good plays, but they didn't run them at a high enough frequency that I thought it really mattered. Like yeah, when the Lakers run their plays, they are more effective than when they're out there playing pickup basketball. And that's just the yes. way it's been all season long with the Russell Westbrook team, with this new look Laker team all season long. And, and it's better now with the better personnel, but all year long when they're more organized, they're more effective. And I took it upon myself. I don't know why I did this. It's been a, it's taken a bunch of my time, but I've tracked every single game, every play. What have they done? They ran a play. Mm-hmm. They ran this play. Here's how it worked. They ran, you know, second play of the game, you know, freelance third play of the game. They ran a post up 
out of, you know, a horn set and yada, yada. And I would track over time how frequently they were actually running organized offense. And it was pretty middling for most of the year. And then maybe a week or two before the Rui trade. So this was before the trades. We started to see a turnaround and it just Mm -hmm. went from this kind of like flat line to just a slow upward climb from that point on until the end of the season. And I think getting the new personnel in the door and forcing them to learn all these plays on the fly kind of hurt the efficiency just a little bit. But I think we've seen the team benefit from that as a result. On the other hand, like Phoenix, when they brought KD in, they brought the new personnel in, they just stopped running their good sets. They just dumbed everything down and they're hurting now because of it. And they haven't had as much time with him, but I think the Lakers did the right thing. You know, they took their lumps with the new guys in the door, maybe not executing as well as they potentially could have if they simplified things. But now they've got a full playbook and they're running it at a really high level and doing a really good job of like, if the defense is running, you know, drop coverage, we're going to run plays that attack drop coverage. If they're running, if they're switching, we're going to attack switching. So that kind of rock, paper, scissors game, they're so much smarter about Um, it's so much easier to play rock, paper, scissors when you know what the other team's going to do. And it's, you know, unlike in football and basketball, teams tend to do the same thing play after play. And then occasionally they'll switch it up. But if you're just blindly playing rock, paper, scissors, you're going to do worse. And I appreciate how the team has refined that play calling over time. So offensively, it started out, eh, but now it's at a really good spot. Defensively, it was pretty simple almost the whole year. And then the last two, three weeks of the season, they started to diversify and, in the playoffs, yeah. you can't just play the same thing every round and expect to win. You have to be able to do multiple things, you know, switch one series, drop coverage, another series, hedge. And they've started Hell, with to some, with some guys. It's not even like series wide, right? With some guys, it's like quarter quarter wise and mm-hmm. and almost play wise. Right. Where if you if you for the course of an entire series with Steph, you're talking about he's going to pick you up, pick you apart by game four of seeing the same thing over and over and over again. Yep, exactly. You have to have a plan B and a plan C and a plan D. You can't just, you know, go into every series with your 102 mile per hour fastball and expect to beat everybody, you know? So Mm -hmm. we saw that improve. That's at a pretty good spot. The rotations, I'm still not, you know, there's still some complaints there, but I think with the better roster, the better personnel, he's made fewer of those mistakes. And I've seen, you know, he, he learned his Gabriel lesson in the first round and is now playing him in the second round. And hopefully he understands why. Um, And then, you (laughs) know, we've certainly seen rookie mistakes, you know, late game situations, calling timeouts, stuff like that. And I feel like it's improved over time, but that's harder to quantify. But in terms of the stuff I literally did track play by play, game by game, we have seen some pretty clear growth. And they're at a point where they're operating fairly well. They're a pretty solid staff. And when it comes to the chess match that you have to see and and be good at in the playoffs where it's quick adjustments, that's another area that they've really improved on. In the regular season, I was pretty critical of the coaching staff's adjustments in-game for like half the year. And they've picked it up since then. And they did a really good job in that first round series. And I know it's an area of the game that people focus a little bit less on or there's less, I don't know, there's less coverage of it. So there's less awareness of it. But mm-hmm. having really deep dived it, he was doing the right things. And and while the rotations can still be, you know, cause a little heartburn tactically, I think we've seen a lot of the X's and O's adjustments that make me confident moving forward that he can at least hold his own against some of these more experienced coaching staffs like Golden State. Yeah, I think with a rookie coach, probably the most important uh, quality about that rookie coach is their their ability to learn and adjust on on 
the move, right? And and on the job. And you, know, you look like somebody you look at somebody like Jason Kidd, for example, who comes into the league um with with one approach. Eventually the league kind of figures him out and he never really adjusts beyond that. And you know, last year you saw it kind of, I think, with with the Mavericks where he comes in with with his approach. Um, has a good season, and then his second season, the league has kind of adjusted for him, and he was a disaster this year. And uh, Darvin, the one thing I will say about him is that he does seem uh, interested and and not very reluctant to go out there, and, and if he sees something that needs tweaking over over the course of time, um, and and depending, and this is where, you know, and it, fortunately for the Lakers in that in that Memphis series, he made adjustments I thought that he needed to make in enough time to 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 win it um in in a somewhat orderly fashion. And and here it's gonna be interesting against this Golden State Warriors team that I would go so far as to say kind of bet baits him into some of his some of his worst habits where he likes going small. Like he 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 he, he he's kind of ideologically um he approaches the sport with an interest in skill over just kind of raw size and athleticism. And I thought we saw it last night in the 14 0 run where golden state goes small and Vando is, it, you know, makes his way out of the game. I think the Lakers saw their offense get kind of constipated and they were like, well, we got to get an extra ball handler in there to, to try to loosen things up. Um, it didn't work that way. And then they were super small and weren't able to take advantage of some of the, the, the trade-offs that Golden State makes by going so small. Um, that, to me, on a macro level, is, I think, my biggest criticism is just kind of the, uh, un, you know, I won't go so far as to call it, say, unwarranting, but but uh, unrelenting. I, I'd, I'd maybe call it, again, ideological leanings towards being small and skilled and that doesn't necessarily fit this roster have you have you picked up on some of that stuff too we we've seen it throughout the course of the regular season where he was leaning small and it was hard to tell if it was just a roster thing or not but even yeah. once the bigger staff or not staff but bigger players we've still kind of seen that continue on and and it's i kind of get it in in this series because like one through three with Steph pool and clay in certain lineups, golden state has guys that are just going to be running around screens and you need to be yeah. able to have to navigate. Like you can't throw like LeBron AD and Rui, Rui together because then you need Rui chasing dudes around screens. And that's just not his game. Same thing with mm -hmm. LeBron. So there will be certain line. And that's why we saw Rui play fewer minutes yesterday, but there will be certain things. Like, I think this is a good series for Brown to play more. But mm -hmm. uh, I thought Dennis did a pretty good job navigating screens. I thought Reeves mm -hmm. did a really good job. Um, D'Lo, not as much, but offensively was providing a nice burst. So I I get where he's going with it. But if it continues and that's not how Golden State is setting up lineup-wise and it's just LA's playing small to play small rather than we need the specific like chaser defense skill set, then I'm right there with you. Like I, There's no reason to just play small for for – just on its own. Like you want to have some sort of skill or size advantage and uh, you know, all things equal get more size is I guess a good general uh, way to approach basketball. How, how do you uh, balance, you know, cause I think at this point, the identity that best fits the Lakers here is bigger, more athletic, 
I wouldn't go so far as to say faster. You know, usually people say bigger, stronger, faster, but they aren't, they aren't going to be faster than Golden State, but bigger, stronger, more physical, more athletic. Um, I think that to me is, is kind of their identity. And yet, like you're talking about Golden State, you know, will throw these lineups out there that forces Ham to adjust to that. But how do you balance, you know, maintaining your identity, the identity that I think best fits this Lakers roster with, you know, matching up from time to time is, is there, is there an extra focus to, you know, to try to force golden state to match up with you or, or is it like, Hey, you know, the extra size might work in some spots, but it also might get killed in some spots. And you got to try to find a way to, to, to find that middle ground there where you're doing damage to them, but not taking as much damage because of their approach. I don't know exactly how that would materialize. I guess like I'm open to being swayed, but if you do play bigger, like let's say you do play yeah. AD, LeBron and Rui, and then I don't know, D'Lo and Reeves or Reeves and Brown or whoever you want. Mm-hmm. And you do have more size. So uh, defensively, you're in worse shape. Do you yeah. just, do you, with how Golden State runs their offense, you're in more shape. Offensively, you've got more size. In theory, you rebound better. Uh, if you've got Rui out there rather than, I don't know, we'll say Dennis, you've got a better spot-up shooter, maybe. Uh, he's he's certainly been hot in the playoffs. In the regular season, it was a little bit more even. Um, yeah. But he can certainly, you know, back somebody down, get into a post-up. I, I just don't know that it's – I don't know that the, the guys that you would be putting on the court to be bigger are ones that you're going to force feed enough offensively that it overcomes – the fact that there'll be liabilities on defense in this specific series. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, at least with how I think about it, I'm more worried about this Golden State offense than anything. And I know mm-hmm. that like no matter what, I want LeBron, I want AD out there on offense, and they'll be able to kind of take care of business. This is a Golden State team that they've been running some drop coverage. With with AD as a role man, you kind of have to stay home on him. Golden State doesn't have the big shot blocking uh, big men that can, you know, stick with AD and jump with AD, they have to like keep good positioning on him, which naturally means they're not going to be containing in ball screens, which we saw lead to D'Lo and Dennis getting to the rim really well. So I'm perfectly happy offensively running a pick and roll heavy offense, getting into some post-ups. And as long as I have the requisite ball handling, shooting, and then from a size standpoint, I think what's really important to me from an X's and O's perspective is I need a five man that is a like legitimate roll and lob threat. And that's what AD is. And, you know, that's what uh, Wendy Gabriel relatively is compared to like the small Laker lineups we saw in the first round against Memphis. Like when they go, you know, LeBron and Rui are your biggest guys. The way defenses would defend that is they'll just switch. And the Lakers natural playbook counters to switching are sealing off and throwing lobs. And unless you have a real big man in there, you can't do that. So that's yeah. why, I, for me, the important size pieces have either AD or Gabriel on the court at all times. And then, you know, other than that, you know, it'd be great to have size, but not if it's going to sacrifice my off-screen defense because that is like the heart and soul of this Golden State team. And if you can't defend that, you're not going to beat them. Yeah, it was interesting yesterday to see the Lakers kind of give up as many open threes it it felt like they you know we know that they prefer the 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 drop whether it's deep or shallow whatever kind of drop but they they would prefer to contain rather than blitz at least initially but it did lead to golden state shooting 53 three-pointers 
and going, you know, shooting 40% on those three-pointers, the Lakers wind up winning. But do you think that's something that over the course of the series, the Lakers are going to continue to be okay with to a certain extent, for lack of a better phrase, I guess? I think the strategy that they took where they were, I, I guess defensively for LA, they were trying to, with the off-screen game, just try to top lock the shooters. They were, mm-hmm. rather than being between the shooter and the basket, like you normally want to be in defense, they were between the shooter and the screen so that yeah. the shooter couldn't quite use the screen. And we saw that materialize in Golden State scoring, uh, what is it, 0.86 points per possession on off-screen plays, which is not, it's not a good number. I don't know that if you, if you don't have context, that's a bad number. That's bad on inefficient offense. So they were taking that away. What they were conceding is if you're not between your man in the basket, he can cut to the rim. And that's why having AD then sag off of Draymond or Looney or whoever the big non-shooter is on the other team, he's standing at the rim at all times, able to take away those back cuts. So we're taking away the off screen. We're taking away the back cuts. We're taking away dribble handoffs by top locking. Um, I think that's a great strategy and there are ways to counter it. And we saw Golden State use some of those, uh, but I thought that was a sound approach. And until Golden State is able to counter more effectively on higher volume, I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, When it comes to ball screens though, you know, there will be those uncomfortable moments where Steph Curry attacking more of a high shallow drop coverage. He's he's still able to get shots off. They'll be contested, but Mm -hmm. if he gets hot, it gets scary. Um, So it's, I just don't think at any point in the series we're going to be fully comfortable playing this Golden State team because they just have too much firepower and too many good shooters and passers. But you, it's it's very much a series for me that you need to stay the course and process, process, process over results because with as high variance as three-point shooting can be, there will be portions of the game where if you just look at the results, you'll be like, oh, wow, this strategy doesn't work at all. When in reality, we're pushing Golden yeah. State into the shots we want them to take. And then there will be other parts of the game where the same exact things are happening, but they're just shooting those shots. And you'll say, oh, well, you can't allow them to shoot threes at all. And maybe that's not the right approach either. So, uh, or, or they're not hitting any of their threes and you say, oh, wow, this is working great. So whether the results are good or bad, I think evaluating the process itself and trying to look at the shot quality rather than just the scoring it's, uh, you know, on its own, I think is really critical with how, how high variance threes are. Yeah, the, the 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 shot quality to me, um, you know, and, and without knowing the, the stats kind of offhand, but the shot quality to me, only getting to the free throw line six times to me indicates like they were taking if it was either three pointers, um, you know, with to varying degrees of how, of, of difficulty um, and mid range shots and floaters and stuff like that. And if you're basically eliminating the basket and making them uncomfortable in the paint the way that AD did. Um, and that's basically been the way that Ham has utilized uh, AD this season from from my stand, uh, standpoint, where uh, it kind of reminds me of, of how uh, the Seattle Seahawks used to utilize uh, Richard Sherman, where they would just stick him on one side of the field and they would shrink the field for the rest of their defense. And and in this case, the nice thing for, for AD is that you're doing that with the most important territory on the court, the paint. And he's essentially making everybody extremely uncomfortable in the paint. And, and that kind of throws this giant wrench into what these teams are trying to do. That, that said though, you know, it has led to, there have been some games where teams get hot coming off of those pick and rolls. And like you've said, um, you know, it, it does lead to some of those attempts off of the dribble 
And if a team gets into a rhythm, then, you know, it, it's just, it, you kind of have to try to withstand that and then counter it however you, 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 you must. But I still think, again, in terms of just ideo- ideology, looking at the way that Ham approaches defense, um, it really appears that he has really focused on, on using AD to swallow up the paint and force offenses to kind of uh, exist without that core part of, of their strategy. Am I, am I framing that right? I think you are. And I think this also gets back to the argument around size. If the size is in the right place at all times, you're in pretty good shape. Like mm-hmm. if you've got extra size out there defensively, but they're running around at the three point line, not in their element, it's not as valuable. If you are running a defensive strategy where AD, your biggest man, is asked to do more than defend the rim, then yeah, it's good to have extra big men that can cover for him when he's you know out of office. Yeah. But when he's able to be in there all the time, disrupting shots, deterring shots. Like when Looney and Draymond are there and he can guard both of them at the same time, essentially. It, Exactly. Golden State mm-hmm. does not have lob threats. That yeah. makes it much easier for AD to do his job. When we look at the like caliber of scores at the rim, Looney, Draymond, DiVincenzo, and Clay Thompson all have D uh, rim shot making grades at B-Ball Index. That's that's the rim shooting proficiency adjusting for degree of difficulty. That's great. Those guys are not good at the rim. And you know, against AD, they're going to be even more hesitant to shoot at the rim. Like there were times they were yeah. there, the shot was there, but AD's footsteps, you know, they're hearing those footsteps and they, you know, kick it out and reset the ball rather than putting a layup up because he's just around. And then yeah. when you look at the guys on this team that are creating their own shots at the rim, self-created looks, it's only pool and, and staff. And those are two smaller guys too. So AD's in good shot, good shape against them. And another thing that's important to understand is what, Golden State does to fuel so much of its offense is between ball screens and off ball screens. They want you to trap or hedge or in some way commit two defenders on the ball so that they can get their numbers advantage. And this is the the strength in numbers, you know, slogan they have. That's really what it is to me is when they can get a three V two and you've got Clay Thompson in one corner, Andrew Wiggins in the other corner and Draymond Green at the free throw line, driving at the rim against two defenders, the defense is in trouble. That's, that's a, you know, 3v2, 2v1, middle school, high school basketball drill. You should be scoring if you're the offense or at least getting a yeah. great shot. And as in, as uncomfortable as it is to, you know, have Steph be jacking threes up, even with a contest, I would so much rather prefer that than be giving up layups, dunks, and like open corner threes. So all of the, with the, with the strategy the Lakers have taken, keeping AD around the rim and then not committing extra bodies on those three-point shooters they're not giving up the easy looks that Golden State is usually able to generate um, mm. just by, you know, for their finishers. Now, the creators are still going to put shots up, but as long as LA's executing... But then they aren't creators. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So it's they're able to create for themselves, but not others. And they're more difficult shots generally. And I, I was able to get a look at some of the second spectrum shot quality data. So this is looking into, you know, shot distance, how open it was, who's taking the shot. Um, the height differential, I believe, between the shooter and the, the guy contesting, all of those important factors, if they're moving or not. And the shot quality between the two teams in game one was about equal, mm-hmm. but the Lakers were playing a style of basketball where they're able to generate so many more free throws. So ultimately that ended up being the, the difference. Um, so even though one team was taking like everything at the rim, the other team pretty much only threes, it still ended up evening out, which I thought was interesting. 
And if LA is going to be able to just win at the free throw line every game, which they should, unless Golden State is able to find a way to get AD away from the rim um, and, you know, generate more looks that tend to create free throws, LA's in pretty good shape this series. The What was the uh, shot quality rating on Jordan Poole's shot there with 10 seconds ago? Was that <laughs> not good? Yeah, not good. No, Paul George was sitting at home. You know, pointing at the screen, the Leonardo DiCaprio meme saying, that's, you know, there it is. That's a bad shot. <laughs> exactly. Bad yeah. Shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I don't know if you saw the clip, but um, I think it was Tyrese Halliburton and Channing Fry were sitting there watching the game. And I think um, Taylor Rooks was there too. And, and Halliburton goes like, that's a fine shot. I will, I'd take that shot. That's a, that, if I were in that spot, I'd take that shot too. And Channing Fry was like, that's why you're here. <laughs> oh no way! That's amazing. I did not see that. That's so good. It was. It was. It was a pretty perfect exchange, and 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 yeah, it was the kind of thing that you know. I I know that Paul can shoot from there. It was interesting earlier in the game. Paul, I think from that. Yeah, it was the left wing from the same exact spot. Had you know the ball kind of kick out to him, and he hesitated, and he winds up not taking that shot there. And I was doing playback at the time. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if that's, you know, if his, his confidence is kind of shaking because he, he passed up on that shot. Turns out, like, he, he goes out and he hits, like, five of ten three-pointers from, from that point forward. So I sounded like an idiot. But then, like, later in the game, that exact same shot presents itself, and he takes it, and he the, the ball never really had a chance. It, it barely got above the, 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 the height of the rim by the time it got there. And, and yeah, I, I, was, I was thrilled when he took that shot with that much time left. Um, offensively, well, no, I want to, uh, yeah, let's do offense. So, um, the Warriors, when they went on that 14 run had Draymond Green at center and they went zone some, and, you know, they were really kind of uh, really applying ball pressure. LeBron, uh, still doesn't quite have it. I don't think physically he's not able to turn the corner. So, you know, when he gets the ball late in the game, he's still kind of taking those, those jumpers. Um, and, and the Lakers offense really kind of sputtered and that got the Warriors out in transition and they went on that 14 0 run and I almost died. Um, I'm kind of curious offensively, what kind of counter did the Lakers have up beyond just like playing better, but like what, what kind of counters do the Lakers have when the Warriors go that small and, um, are willing to give up that much size on the interior? Yeah, good question. So in general, you need to be smarter against the zone. The Lakers on the season have been a pretty average half-court offense against zone defense. The Warriors have been a pretty average to below average zone defense. But it's one of those things that, like, if you're caught off guard, the, the defense can steal some points. So I was honestly a little surprised LA wasn't better prepared. Golden State showed on their film and their data. They'll use zone. And if they know you stink against it or you're not prepared, they'll just keep using it. So yeah. I was surprised we didn't see it earlier in the game. Uh, I would expect LA is very prepared for it in game two. And we're just lucky that it didn't cost them the first game. Now yeah. attacking smaller defenses in general, when you've got AD out there, what the Lakers can do very well is set uh, ball screens with more of a, I call it like a North South screening angle rather yeah. than trying to go side to side with the ball handler. Mm -hmm. You want to be attacking downhill because with those small lineups, Golden State likes to switch. And when you get a switch, AD, his new man is now, you know, 
closer to half court than to the rim. AD has the inside position to the rim. Yep. And the Lakers do such a good job, especially with AD being a, you know just a, such a big guy, throwing lobs up to him or hitting the bounce pass into him. And is, if he can catch the ball, it's easy money. He's going to draw a foul. He's going to get a bucket. And with as much of a size advantage as he has, and with the inside position he's able to generate on those plays, the only way to really stop it is to absolutely sell out from the you know the corners and crash down and you have to send help early and you have to like get fully in front of him you can't like kind of tag the role man you have to get all the way there which if they do it they have to do it early which makes the read so much easier for D'Lo or LeBron or whoever it is that has the ball in their hand so you're looking for the roll man or the lob whatever you know whatever angles better and then if he's taken away you should have kick out threes available and I would love to see the Lakers get more to some of those north-south ball screens, look for the seals, look for the lobs. That's been their go-to form of offense against switching on the season. Uh, they have a specific like four-out, one-in spread, uh, step-up ball screen play for the seal that was a one of the five most used plays they used on the regular season. So they're very familiar with this. It's just about recognizing it in the moment and going to the right section of your playbook. They'll also like to do this from the wing and they'll keep the corner empty. So it's like an empty pick and roll setup. And mm-hmm. that makes it so AD's able to roll and there's nobody there to tag him. And he might catch a bounce pass, you know, around the short corner on the you know right side of the court and just be able to take one dribble and then dunk at the rim. Um, so just little, little concepts like that. It's nothing super fancy, but make sure that you're able to get AD rolling or attacking the rim. And please do not have AD taking threes. We saw him take a three there during that stretch. Like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. at the very least, I demand that you stand in the paint. Like, just stand there. They're small. You should be able to get rebounds. If the ball bounces, like, you know, 60% of the possible routes, it could bounce. Um, so absolutely, by no means, should he be taking jump shots from the perimeter. Uh, let somebody else do that. We've got better guys to do that. You go stand in the paint if you're not going to be rolling. Yeah, the the eighty three. I I almost felt like it was kind of a tax because of how well he was playing defensively. But pay that tax earlier in the game. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know, like sometimes you sometimes you'll give. You know, it used to be just post ups. It used to be just straight post ups that you would give a big. Um, if they were, you know, Dwight would get this. Dwight was a terrible post up player, but in order to kind of keep him focused, you would give him a post up here and there, and then and then he would go down and continue to be willing to work defensively. Um, it, it kind of felt like AD was really feeling himself last night, and for good reason. He played really well, and and he he wanted to see if he could get the ball up um, with a jumper there. And I was like, look, he, I'd rather you not do it at all, but certainly not in the fourth quarter while they're on a fourteen zero run. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> like I'd really I'd really prefer to avoid that at all costs. Um, but the other part of it too, against the zone, that I was surprised, um, especially because like D'Lo is a taller guy and. Reeves is 6'4 and is, you know, fairly tall at the top of his own. Um, I was surprised that the Lakers didn't kind of just stick LeBron in the middle of the zone and, you know, have him flash to the ball and get some high-low stuff there where you're throwing the ball. Like LeBron, if it's D'Lo to LeBron to AD, the ball never has to get below like six feet or so. Um, is that is that really an option there? Or do you think the, the Warriors are too... Uh, quick to active for the offense to be that rudimentary. 
I mean, if they're going to go full monkey in the middle mode, I'm I'm for that. It, like, keep the ball up. Don't let the balloon touch the ground. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, uh, you've got the size that you should be able to, like, make post feeds or, like, do what you need to do without putting the ball in dangerous situations where it can be stripped away and stolen. Um, like, I don't know if you noticed it, but, well, I'm sure you did. But um, Draymond was guarding Russell earlier in the game, like, to start sets and... It really felt like, you know, against Memphis, Russell was so much taller than Ja and Tyus and um, Bain that the passes into the post could be almost like line drive passes. And it was interesting to see Draymond guarding Russell um, at any point over the course of the game and then prioritizing that because, you know, it does force either a lob, you know, more of a lob over the top of, of Draymond to get the ball in there or a bounce or something like that. Um, but when they were in that, when they were super small and Draymond was, was more focused on the paint and guarding AD, um, it, I, you know, that feels like a time where, where you can get the ball just kind of over the top of the defense. Um, even as, even as difficult as it might look with how they're flying around out there defensively. I would hope so. Yeah. And I, I certainly think the Lakers can probably go to the post a bit more moving forward. Golden state is a little bit trickier than Memphis is when it comes to how often they'll send help and what kinds of help they will send. But we also might just see them play 1v1. Like They have pretty good confidence in Looney and and Draymond to play 1v1 in the post. I feel good about those 1v1 matchups. But if they do send help, LA just needs to be sharp with with whatever counters they're running. We did see, you know, if the defense is going to send the same thing over and over, LA's pretty good about countering. But like in the play-in matchup against Minnesota, they were sending like two or three different kinds of help and like mixing them up to the point where it was almost random. And LA was not very sharp with countering that. And and so I think that is a viable approach. If LA does want to lean more into the post game for even a smaller team in golden state to be able to be disruptive. But I mean, ultimately 80 should be able to like hit fairly uncontested jumpers over shorter guys. Uh, so and floaters I, and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So whenever they're small, like 80 has got to be part of the answer. He's so big. He's got to be, you know, whether it's him catching on the move, uh, rolling, posting up, like get the ball in the big guy's hands and, you know, try to punish the size disadvantage. Yeah. The Lakers offense just looked night and day when the ball was either going through him and when it wasn't. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree a hundred percent. Um, a couple quick things here before we get you out of here. Um, you speak of getting AD the ball on the move. Um, I thought against Memphis, one of the things that the Lakers got better at over the course of that series was getting LeBron the ball on the move. Um, and again, it's, it's, I think it's more difficult because golden state's a lot more active and, by the time you got to like game six, Memphis was ready to fold up shop. They were doing one, two, three Cancun and stuff. So I think that was a factor. But, um, you know, with with LeBron, though, he's not at the stage of his career where he can just stand up there with all the eyeballs on him. Everybody hedged in towards him and and looking and, and looking to wall off the paint with him. Um, what what are, are there anything? Is there anything you've seen the Lakers do specifically that has gotten LeBron on the move more successfully? Absolutely. Yeah. So one big thing that you may have noticed, I think we saw it. Yeah, we did see it yesterday. And we also saw it plenty in the first round was what I would call a stampede cut. Uh, You know, when you hear the word stampede, you're thinking, you know, barreling downhill, uh, get out of the way. And that's kind of what this looks like. Rather than passing it to him, you know, standing at the wing and then he drives, 
he starts mm-hmm. running to the rim and then you throw it to him. You kind of lead the receiver. So he catches on the move already. And LeBron catching on the move against guys who <laughs> are stationary, that's yeah. a problem, right? Especially so, smaller guys. Like it was mm-hmm. one thing in Memphis when like Dylan Brooks for what he is, is this like kind of hulking wing that's more difficult to move than say uh, Wiggins and Moody and uh, basically anybody else that the that the Warriors are playing. Absolutely. Yeah, so this is a better matchup for him to get those cuts. And really how those are generated usually is the Lakers are running a ball screen where a ball handler is driving down the middle of the court. AD is rolling. And because the defense, knowing they don't have the size and they can't jump with him, they have to stay home on AD as a roller, meaning that they're not in a position to contain the ball handler drive. And rather than giving up a layup, they'll send help from LeBron's man just to try to, you know, stunt in and swipe at the ball and just do what they can to slow him down. And that is the moment. As soon as LeBron's man takes that step and a half over to try to help because, you know, AD's presence is not allowing AD's man to contain, that's when LeBron is able to make his move and cut. So it's it's interesting seeing the synergy of, you know, we talk about, you know, superstars being able to play together, the LeBron AD pick and roll and all these different things. This is an example of, AD off ball unlocking mm-hmm. LeBron off ball, which is more of an unconventional way to to get those two superstar players involved. But we've seen it be impactful, and it's it's just really tough to stop because when he gets that ball, he's like a fullback running downhill, and uh, you know against those smaller bodies, it's it's going to be a problem. Yeah, we saw my favorite play of the game actually last night was uh, Reeves had the ball at the top. Divincenzo was really pressuring up pretty hard. Uh, AD had to set, like reset his screen twice. And finally, Reeves did get her on the screen, had DiVincenzo on his back. And Wiggins, because AD started kind of rolling down to the basket, Wiggins slid up from the baseline towards the elbow. And that allowed LeBron to just run in wide open for that backdoor lob that, that Reeves winds up throwing. And yeah, the idea, like people, like you're saying, people think of two-man game as just pick and roll. Although like, you know, Suns fans are like, can we see any pick and roll with Devin and Kevin? <laughs> like any, <laughs> anything whatsoever. Um, but in this case to see a two man, well, it, it's essentially three man, but a two man game where AD's motion unlocks LeBron on the weak side was, was really cool. And, and look, I like Frank Vogel as much as just about anybody, but um, I don't think we saw that as much. You didn't have to because LeBron was at a different stage of his career but I don't think you saw offense with, with that, those kinds of levels to it. I didn't think. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Vogel did a really good job defensively. Uh, tactically, they, they were very multiple. They would go to different things, but offensively. And, and I, I mean, I covered round by round of that title run. Even then they were pretty slow to make adjustments if they yeah. made them at all. And there were times where like, like in that Houston series, they tried playing big in the first game. And everybody remembers, oh, it didn't work. They went small and then everything worked. They could have done a better job with the big group. They yeah. just didn't make any of the tactical adjustments. So they said, ah, we're just going to change the rotation instead. Like I, there was validity to taking the big man approach if you just make little tweaks with the X's and O's. But not having those answers limits you to more just kind of personnel changes. And ironically, that's, I think, what fans notice more. Whereas with Darwin, he's doing more of the tactical stuff, which isn't noticed as much. So I understand when people are like, oh, this guy's not making any adjustments. So yeah, know, he's not making any rotation adjustments at times, but there are some cool things going on. And, and like you just said, this is one of them that 
a concept we didn't really see much before that we're getting to see on display in these key moments of big games. And I don't see any end to it. I don't, I don't think this is going to stop. If it stops, it's because the defense is staying on him and giving up that middle drive. And we're going to see more Schroeder and D'Lo and Reeves floaters or layups at the rim. Uh, all right, last uh, last thing here before we get you out of here. And again, uh, Tim is here. He does great work with the Lakers Exceptionalism Pod. The B-Ball Index is also an incredible uh, tool for those who want to look at the game more analytically. Um, I, I want to, uh, one, check in on you. You said that earlier in the pod, you said that you charted all of the, the, the plays and all of that from throughout the season. And I'm just like, are you okay? Are you, like, were you... <laughs> Were you did did you get some help like over the course of it? It's easier now. The Lakers are a better team, but that those were some dark times, man. <laughs> yeah, dude, it was it was tough. It, when the team was not doing well, it was it was brutal. I you know for the first like twenty games, I was energized, and then it was like, oh man, I got to do this for sixty more games. And this team isn't very good. <laughs> I, I I did not get any help. I almost gave up. And then they started making trades and I was like, oh, thank goodness. Like, <laughs> it's so much better. This is so much more fun for me. I cannot, you know, watch. I need. I don't need to rewatch every Russell Westbrook moment. Like, I've already watched it live. I don't need to rewatch yeah. it and log it. You know, freelance ISO, freelance ISO. Freelance, like, <laughs> I'm good with one. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm in a better mental state now than I was a couple months ago. And uh, it's it's been really neat. Like, when you get to that level of granularity, I'm so much more noticing the patterns and mm -hmm. the play calling. Like they use this play to set up that play. Um, or, you know, I'm better able to track like, okay, when the defense does go to switching, here's how they attack switching. When they go to drop, here's how they attack drop. So that level of detail is something that I like, I think I'd like to think I see the game pretty well, but watching live, there's so much that you might miss and, it, and it's oh, challenging yeah. to keep track of everything all at the same time. Especially yep. when you've got cool like off ball actions going on, you just you know your your eyes tend to float towards the ball. Um, yep. So being able to you know give him credit where it's due, there were games this season where on, on playback live, I was like, ah, oh, you know, I didn't really like that play, and then I go back and rewatch it. I'm like, oh wow, there's a lot of cool stuff happening, but it just looked like LeBron was dribbling for ten seconds. But no, he was really yeah. letting the play develop, and guys were running off screens and stuff. So getting that rewatch, I think, is really valuable, and that's why you'll. After games, I'll try to hold any negative criticism to myself because I want to actually get a look at the film first. Uh, I've, I think, become more disciplined over time because a couple of years ago, I'd say stuff and then be like, ah, shit, I was wrong um, mm -hmm. <laughs> on the film. And I don't have to like <laughs> recant statements I made at 1 a.m. Central Time uh, after, you know, a two point loss or something in Houston, you know? Yeah. No, I. Um... The, the, the nice thing about this is nobody ever holds anybody accountable for saying wrong stuff. Like nobody keeps receipts. No, it's, it, it never happens. I, <laughs> my mentions, my mentions are never a tire fire for things I said in the heat of the moment. It's never happened ever. Um, last thing then, before we get you out of here, the, the, the series, obviously the Lakers are up one zero. By the time you guys are listening to this, you'll be hours away from game two. I don't think the Lakers are going to win game two. Um, based on recent history and the Warriors are just going to be a desperate team. They can't lose it. But uh, how do you feel after watching game one uh, and, you know, including your thoughts heading into the series, how are you feeling about the Lakers chances? I'm still feeling pretty good. Big picture. I had the Lakers picked in six games for the series and I was anticipating mm -hmm. a game one win. I thought going into the series, there were a lot of tactical advantages 
from and the regular season results against Golden State don't really matter yeah. from a results standpoint. I, think I, but, I, had, I basically threw them out. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a smart thing to do. But looking at the film, I noticed like, oh, well, the Lakers strategy that they used defensively yesterday was exactly mm-hmm. what they did for three games in a row, and Steve Kerr couldn't figure it out. So I was like, all right, well, that may carry over actually. Like if they haven't mm-hmm. been able to solve this problem from those three games, and then you know, in the playoffs, even though Sacramento didn't quite have the personnel. And other regular season games, like that's an ongoing concern for them that should be advantage Lakers. And then on the other side of the court, looking at the Lakers running their set plays, everything in the playbook was working for them in the regular season against Golden State. So it's like, all right, well, one team has their whole playbook. The other team has a big portion of it kind of slowed down to start. So I think they'll make adjustments, but I felt confident in Lakers winning that first game. I would expect Golden State to hold home court. And I, I mean, my prediction from here on out is everybody, you know, holds home court and then the Lakers win at six. But I am not going into game two thinking like, oh, wow, we really got away with one. Like LA, from a process standpoint, did some great stuff. There's still plenty to clean up, but nothing I saw makes me, you know, think it was fluky or it can't be repeated. And there are just some natural advantages. Like if Golden State has a poor three-point shooting game, they're done. Like, LA yeah. getting to the rim, that's lower variance shots. You're, you know, yep. you're going to hit those at a high rate. And if you have an off shooting that you're still hitting them at a pretty high rate. And you're still, getting, you're with, still getting to the free throw line. Like you're not, exactly. the Warriors don't get to the free throw line shooting the way they did yesterday. Mm-hmm. The ceiling is, or the, the floor is just so much higher for the Lakers that like the Golden State has to be on. And we saw a great Jordan Poole game. He's been pretty bad this year. Like he's yeah. not been the guy he was last year. So we got away with not being good against the zone. We got away with a good pool game and and still won that first one. So, yeah, I feel good about Lakers in six, but I don't know, man. If if they win this next game, the takes might get a little wild. <laughs> and I think it can happen. I I'm 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 already ready for the for the game two blowout that the Warriors show up for in the Lakers because we've seen them. Like we saw it in game two against Memphis. We've seen them enjoy their success a little too much and get a little complacent. And when you do that against the Warriors, you get your ass kicked. And 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 I'm already ready for for all of those takes. Shit, I'm ready to give a couple of those takes. Um, <laughs> thank you very much, Tim, uh, for for hopping on with us. Is there anything specific you want to plug before we get you out of here? Yeah, sure. Uh, if you're interested in X's and O's content, uh, you know the scheme stuff, the, the chess match of the game, uh, some of the data mixed in as well. Check out the Lakers Exceptionalism podcast, also on the Blue Wire Network. Um, if you are, you know, looking for a place to watch games live, I know we've got a number of playback streams at this point, but, but the one that I run is the Lakers watch party. So playback.tv slash Lakers watch party. We started Mm -hmm. doing pregame shows. So I had like film grabs and I was diagramming stuff on a whiteboard and we had, you know, I had graphics made with the keys to the game and stuff like that. And we ended up seeing a lot of it in game one. So, uh, have, you know, some fun over there with us during TV timeouts. I was drawing up, you know, here's what Golden State ran. Here's how the Lakers can adjust to it. Stuff like that. You know, can't guarantee the Lakers will win, but you won't leave the game wondering like, oh, what happened? Why did we win? Why did we lose? You know, what happened there? So check that out. B-Ball Index, of course, lots of great tools. We do, I mean, it's a consulting firm. We work with NBA teams, WNBA teams, agents, uh, players, but we also have some good uh, public facing tools for five bucks a month. You can do all sorts of cool stuff. See player roles and impact and talent, shot quality and all sorts of cool stuff. And then if you're interested in learning more about the X's and O's of the game, check out the link in my bio on Twitter at Tim underscore MBA. You can join a tier of our Discord that I have for 10 bucks a month. We've got, I think, 20 hours of recorded X's and O's content 
that you can probably all, you know, you can probably get through it in a week and then cancel your subscription. But, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. churning out some of that, you don't have to pay hundreds of dollars to learn how to, you know, learn how to attack drop coverage and things like that. Like, uh, go check that out if you're interested in learning more about the game. Again, $10.00. Super, super cheap price for what it is. We're going to be discontinuing that and then throwing that actually on the B-Ball Index website starting next season. So this is the best value you're going to get for that kind of content. So check that out as well. Again, link in my bio on Twitter. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious. You know, you say that you consult with, with NBA teams, WNBA teams and stuff like that. I kind of wonder if Byron was the Lakers coach if if they would bring you in just to say nope, we don't need that information. <laughs> <laughs> I um I have a funny story. I actually in consulting, uh, it was actually a Luke Walton staff member. Uh, he was on a different coaching staff at the time, and I spoke with him on the phone. And the first thing he did was just cuss me out okay. for <laughs> all of the all of the public crap I gave the Luke Walton coaching staff for how. <laughs> they were yeah um, they were terrible and then, he, and, and then they ended up paying you know now him with his new stuff they ended up paying us to you know help them out with things so um you know when when they're doing well i'll praise them when they're not doing well i'll criticize them uh no dude i if byron i don't even know what byron scott would have said to me if if they brought me in at the time it would be absolute dismissal of the ideas or like get this guy out of my foxhole like I don't know. <laughs> the foxhole, yeah. He would have you print it out specifically so that he would be able to crumple it up and throw it in the trash can. Like <laughs> my dude, like we can we can like just email it to you. We can like talk to you in person, whatever. Nope. Eat I, I need you to print it out and I need you to watch me shoot it into this basket over there. <laughs> mm-hmm. As as he yells Kobe. Um Thank you very much again, Tim. Great information that that he is presenting and that he and Tom, they do great work over there at Lakers Exceptionalism. So check them out over there. Um, I have done a watch party with them, have a blast doing it. Uh, so, so yeah, check out their stuff over there. Thanks again, Tim, and best of luck moving forward, bud. Thank you. Thanks for having me.